Welcome to the Nonprofit Hero Factory, a weekly live video broadcast and podcast where we'll be helping nonprofit leaders and innovators create more heroes for their cause and a better world for all of us. Diddy. Good morning, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us for episode 12 of the Nonprofit Hero Factory. We're going to be talking about how a CRM can work for your nonprofit and not vice versa with Michael Panis. Uh, I've known Mike for several years now. We first worked together at a national nonprofit about seven years ago. He can correct me um, for a couple of years, starting seven years ago. So now Mike serves on the Feed the Children executive team as their chief information officer, their CIO. We'll talk to him a little bit about what that means and uh, why some organizations need one and whether you do or not. Uh, he recently managed the organization's conversion to a new CRM solution. And as a technology professional, he's worked for NCR Corp, US West, bank holding companies, and large health organizations. For the past 12 years, he's provided technology social change leadership to several national cause initiatives, established and chaired his own nonprofits, and served on several nonprofit boards. Mike describes his superpower as guiding strategic initiatives to success. Um, Anxious to ask him uh, what that means and to get more of his story and talk to him about CRMs and making them work for you. So without any further ado, let's bring Mike onto the show. Hi, Boris. Hi, Mike. Oh, we're getting there. There we are. <laughs> I see you now. Thanks Good so morning. much for coming on the show, my friend. Yeah, I'm happy to join. Appreciate the opportunity. So tell me a little bit, I mean, I know a lot, but tell, tell our viewers a little bit about your story, uh, how you got to where you are today. Sure, sure. Um, well, I started off as an IT person, a technology person. That's what I was trained in college for and worked for large organizations. And I guess it was about 12 years ago, 12 or 13 years ago, um, a friend of mine who was the mayor of a city asked me to work on some social um, change programs. And uh, during that time, as you can imagine, when an organization uh, like a mayor's office asks community um, leaders to, to to become involved in a change, um, you know, you pretty much want to support the mayor. And as I did that, I learned a lot more about nonprofits and social change and the importance of certain things out there. So I, I kind of kind of set me on a path to migrate my 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 career from a for-profit environment to a nonprofit, and that's where we met. I came on board. Uh, to work uh, with an organization, a founder that started a, a national, international, I guess, nonprofit and, and uh, met you. And then I've moved on to, uh, actually went from there to this position at Feed the Children. Cool. So um, you described your superpower as guiding strategic initiatives to success. What does that mean, Mike? Yeah. So, you know, um, I guess you can tell I'm not that young necessarily. I'm only 39. But but in any event, you know, over years of experience of, of major projects, implementation projects, owning my own company, you know, I think my, my superpower for nonprofits is literally taking corporate initiatives, whatever that might be, mostly obviously technology oriented and guiding those through a process, you know, to success. Um, you know, a lot of times IT people and, and project managers will tend to view a project as a project and 
you know, I'm a PMP or I'm this, and we have to follow these guidelines and rules. Well, a lot of times it's just, it's the guiding leads to success. I mean, you still use, you know, milestones and you still set dates and you still set timelines. But uh, I think if, if, if a lot of us in IT would look and view things as we're a guidepost or we're helping guide things, um, it kind of gives you a little different perspective. So that's kind of why I use the word guiding. Gotcha. So tell me, what are you seeing uh, these days? What's happening in the nonprofit sector? And certainly um, from your perspective at Feed the Children, which is a pretty large uh, national organization, in terms of data storage and uh, data usage, what are you mm -hmm. seeing out there? Yeah, so there's a few things that are significantly impacting, I'll say, the industry, the nonprofit industry. Um, of course, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so there are issues there that a lot of nonprofits are dealing with. And it seems like there's, you know, almost uh, a situation where some nonprofits who provide services to, to the needy have almost been forgotten in the pandemic. And then there's other organizations that have kind of stepped up and their services are more needed. But what all that means is change. It means change to the donor profiles. It means uh, change to your services. It means change to your partnerships that you have out there. Um, and a successful CRM implementation, or if you have one in place, really can help you manage and navigate those waters. So I think in today's world, I think some nonprofits that maybe haven't implemented a CRM uh, a strategy or an application or a service or a cloud product or whatever the case may be, are, are could potentially find themselves in today's world wishing they had that now to kind of manage the change that, they, that they're going through, communicate better with donors um, and, and especially volunteers. Um, in today's nonprofit world, given the pandemic, um, how do you volunteer? And what is that changing like? How does that in electronic communications and working from home are just really key? So, um, so that's one thing uh, about the CRM world. The other thing that impacts uh, the nonprofits, uh, not, not that it doesn't impact profit, for-profit organizations, but, you know, we have new challenges related to, especially internationally related to, uh, you know, personally identifiable information, um, how we report breaches, um, rules, regulations, uh, potential fines, uh, you know, internationally, if we don't do something right. So, you know, having, um, you know, having full control or management or access or understanding of, of how you're managing data, um, it could be very uh, powerful if you had a CRM system. So I think some organizations are looking to CRM systems to solve some law or regulatory or data protection type issues that they might be dealing with or that they their executive team knows they have to manage. It, it's, it's kind of, it's very tough out there. And then the last thing I'd say is that, um, you know, many of us in the nonprofit world, um, you know, have common uh, partners. We have common people we serve. Um, sometimes our business models are, our CRM is full of names of those we serve, some nonprofits have no names of the people that are served by their, by their caught, by what they do. So it just varies. But what we find is CRM can allow you to serve who you serve better. 
and to communicate with your potential donors or the people that want to help you better. So I think the reality is setting in that no matter how big or large you are of a, of a nonprofit, um, the people that are out there serving maybe the same communities might have an advantage in, in their success. So that's another key thing that's, that is kind of real now. Uh, and of course, that means better products, you know, SaaS, cloud-based solutions and that sort of thing that maybe weren't there a few years ago or there now. So that's all um, awesome stuff to, to share and to understand. And I want to dive into a few of those things. It occurs to me, though, that uh, so far you and I have been talking, we've been talking about CRMs, but we haven't actually defined uh, or explained for anyone who doesn't necessarily know, because I'm sure some sure. younger nonprofits, people who are kind of doing grassroots work, haven't even thought about it yet, or they have but didn't realize so uh, a CRM is, uh, in nonprofit terms, a constituent relationship management uh, application, right? Um, right? In the for-profit world, it's customer relationship management, but nonprofits have a different need because, as you said, we're also working with volunteers, with partners, and so those are all our constituents, our stakeholders, and the CRM becomes the central digital hub for that information, both incoming and outgoing. So you collect information about people that you're serving or that you're working with, and then you use that information. And usually again, through the CRM, if, if you're uh, able to optimize it well, uh, to then communicate back out to them, depending on their interests, their interactions, uh, and keep the, the cycle, uh, the loop closed and, and repeating, right? That's, yeah, you summed it up really good. That's 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 correct. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you obviously work for a a large and um, well uh, well funded. Um, um, not that every non any nonprofit is ever not worried about funding. Uh, organization. Do smaller organizations need to be looking to adopt an, a CRM? When is it time for a nonprofit to to look for one? Well, I, I think even startup nonprofits should consider. Um, the utilization of technology. Um, I think your size, there, there's good solutions out there that would fit into the small nonprofit, into a small foundation, into a small school um, foundation, if you will. Um, so I, I think it's very important to consider that no matter how large you are, where you're at in your life cycle, we're 41 years old, but uh, the organization that's two years old and, and, and they expect to grow, should really consider that. So if you were to consider, there's two reasons for that. One is that there's potential for a solution to help you grow, right? To help you do what you want to do better, um, serve the good if, or do the good, if you will. Um, but the other thing is if, if, if the founders, even a small organization or the executive team of a large organization follow kind of a systematic approach of considering a CRM, you will uncover things just by that process that could help your business. Um, so the, 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 the analytical side, strategic conversations about really constituent management, which is all the things you explained, these are all of our different types of constituents. That's the first thing an organization should look at. You know, whether you're considering a CRM or not, you, you, you need to identify your constituent profiles. And then you need to identify, so that's number one, and have a strategy for all of those constituents. Um, what are we expecting to do with volunteers? What are we expecting to do with people that come to events? What are we expecting to do? And in today's world, um, not like 
I mean, technology is everywhere, but, but then you take the next step and say, what data elements do I need to manage those, those constituent, I'll call them profiles or different types of constituents in your world, because they will vary just like you said, you know, what is the path for those constituents? A lot of times we think about donors, but sometimes an, an event participant, sometimes a volunteer, sometimes a board member um, is also a, a, a great, potentially a great donor. And having that data and communicating with them easily, whether you're small or large, is I think just critical. So, and that's that's the power of the CRM, um, where you could potentially harness that power for your organization. And in terms of the types of CRMs that are out there, like you said, there's ones that are um, accessible to organizations of just about any size. The only limitation really being your resource of man hours or, or woman hours to mm -hmm. actually be able to manage it and look into it, but at least collecting data in the first place so that hopefully at some point someone comes along and can help you with that, I think is key. Right. You know, there's um, a lot of people use, for example, MailChimp for their email communications. In a way, MailChimp is a very kind of low key CRM. Actually, they're doing a lot on the e-commerce side to become a more full-fledged uh, system for them. But even for nonprofits, a lot of my clients will categorize them, right? So you have one list, hopefully, and then you have categories for people that are your board members or mm -hmm. people who have attended a certain event or people who have done uh, specific things, donated uh, in maybe even in certain brackets. And then you could customize communications to them. So at a very low, uh, low uh, adoption uh, threshold, low friction level, you're already collecting data just by using something like that rather than say emailing directly out of your Gmail or something like that. Oh yeah, definitely. And that's, and in this, in, in the nonprofit world, that's called basically list management. So you know how to effectively market, if you will, or build your relationship and move your relationship along that can, that, that path, if you will, to, to, to maximize your relationship. And I think, you know, the leap of faith sometimes is, you know, a, a lot of times donors or people you have relationships with are looking for more opportunities to work with you. It's just, we don't get the message to them, but mm -hmm. tools like MailChimp, which I call an ancillary package, if you will, that would, would bolt on nicely. And, and we actually use MailChimp in one instance here um, for that exact same reason. Uh, we have a child sponsorship program, but we like to use MailChimp to, to, um, to work with people that sponsor children around the world for us. And we do, we've had that, it's kind of a legacy application, but when we looked at our CRM implementation, we viewed that as an ancillary, you know, uh, product that would work with our package. So mm -hmm. you, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was, yeah. I'm agreeing with you completely. And it's interesting, you view it as an ancillary product, but for a lot of organizations it might be their, their initially their primary, yep. The good news is that as long as you have the data, whether you stick with MailChimp once you have a more robust CRM or you move to something else, some CRMs will have uh, list management built in. Um, MailChimp being one of the biggest ones, and we're saying it so often, I feel like they should be sponsoring us, but uh, being one of the biggest uh, players in the field, they'll work with a lot of different third-party or standalone CRMs like the Salesforces and all the others out there so that... Right. You or they, and they have to to survive. 
Yeah. You know, that's that's their business strategy. And and really, we're kind of talking about buy versus build a little bit. I mean, at least it comes to mind. Right. Yeah, and, absolutely. I definitely want to get get to that. So great transition. Let's talk about when is it time uh, to build your own CRM versus just buying one off the shelf? What do you need to look at and decide to to do that? Yeah. So. I mean, looking at the 100,000 foot level, generally speaking, if we look at buy versus build, I think for nonprofits, and again, this doesn't apply to all, but maybe the 80-20 rule, you want to, I mean, you really want to look at a buy for a CRM versus a build. Generally speaking, and, and what a CRM can do for you and, and the enhancements that are made and the management of that. We talked about laws and regulations. And if you have a SaaS product, a cloud product, you know, you put the you put the responsibility on them to protect your data, whether they're a processor, a controller or whatever the case may be. There's going to be some fundamental things that are a byproduct of, of them, of them selling you a subscription, a cloud subscription that you put on them. Um, you know, we can't afford to hire seven PhDs that know all about protecting data. I mean, it's just not feasible. So there's a trade-off there, but generally speaking, I think a CRM, a core CRM platform is probably, I, I would focus more on a buy decision versus a build. Building has, uh, if you look at laws, regulations, the changing landscapes out there, and the fact that many, many, many organizations are saying, I'm going to offer SaaS cloud services to nonprofits based upon their size and their industry in a per user basis, it could be a very cost-effective way to do things versus building in today's market. But that's for the core solution. That's for the base core CRM. Then you have the option to look at building or using other products. Um, we have a two core systems, well, two ancillary systems that work with CRM that we've built internally because we just couldn't find those out there and our CRM system we could never pay enough money to modify it to do what we wanted to. So I think the strategy when you're looking at buy versus build is not to ignore the ancillary systems, whether that's MailChimp, something you've developed, your own website, uh, not using the website that maybe be provided by your CRM, because CRM solutions try and grow also. The vendors try and, and have these other bolt-on packages. And you in the, in the, especially in the nonprofit industry, you'll hear about you know, this CRM vendor purchased this package to bolt on to theirs. And, you you know, and it's littered with failures and successes. Right. So, you know, don't necessarily look at throwing away what you're doing with what I call ancillary systems. Those may be a very good long term solution for you. And then you're just then you can evaluate the core CRM and their ability to provide a good SDK or API model for you. And that includes business analytics and warehousing type stuff. So to me, that's where the build versus buy, where it lands. I, that would be my recommendation if people called me. Um, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily volunteer to be the project manager, if you will, for a large build direction for a large nonprofit. Yeah. I mean, that has, I mean, you know, you can talk to nonprofits that are mid-sized to larger and the, and, and, the landscape's littered with CRM failures of trying to build your own application. Yeah, it's it's very similar in so many uh, different aspects of uh, 
digital life in general, but in, yeah. in just about anything, there are professionals out there, experts out there who already do it. Um, yeah. And they devote all their time and their staff to ma maintaining it, making sure that it's running up to legal codes, up to you know standards, web standards and information standards that are out there to do something in, uh, and build it yourself. You have to have a full-time dedicated team to just keep up. On the other hand, when it's actually, I think when you're a small enough nonprofit, something simple that you could build together literally with you know, Google applications, if you, if you only need a certain amount of, of data and certain interactions, you could build one pretty quickly and right. it'll, it'll work just fine for you. But as soon as you can, it's easier to offload that responsibility to a third party, assuming that they can do the things you want them to do. And going back to your, uh, your uh, talking about CRMs that are now also doing ancillary services and products, uh, my experience has been that rarely works well. It, they try to become all things to all people and that just makes them not the best at any one thing. So I personally look for whether it's the website platform that you're building on or the CRM that you're using, I want the ones that are gonna be most interoperable and most flexible and be the best at the thing they do rather than the one that will do just everything for me because as soon as you hit any limitation, you're now stuck. And I'm working with a client right now who was using a CRM, which shall not be named right now. Um, and the CRM had promised certain ancillary features that would interact with their website. And a few years ago, just stopped, stopped developing those. So they're no longer even supported. And now they're stuck. Now they're looking at actually going to a whole new CRM just to get the features that they need. Yeah. And I think everything you're saying is, is right. And then if you take that mindset and then you apply it to the organ, whether you're small or large organizations, you know, constituent profile strategy, if you will, that tells you, you know, if, if your focus is, is maybe you're a nonprofit and you're small and your focus is, and I'm a found person, you know, I'm a private foundation um, and you have specific people you want to serve and you're, and your data for the first two years is only going to be made up of those people you serve. And that's easily managed through lists and MailChimp for that period of time. That's great. But if you look at strategically where you're going to go, well, you might, you know, is your strategy to, to maybe move from a, a foundational approach to a nonprofit approach. Maybe you have to do that for tax reasons, who knows, but if you at least are talking about the potential, uh, constituents in your world long-term that kind of also allows you to develop strategies and start tracking data and use data, right? So if you ever do convert to a CRM package or things like that, you, you know, you understand how your data is being used and what you're collecting and how you're managing it. A lot of times, you know, people get into trouble and they go, man, if we would have just done these things for the last two years, this us embracing the CRM package, it gives us all these other things would have been much easier. And um, so I think that's an important strategy. It, it all goes back to me for CRM is like you said, it's a constituent relationship management system. So define your constituents, define the profiles of them and where you're going short term and long term. And if it's all about donations and it's all about donations and you may want a CRM to help you properly take credit card transactions and 
and report certain information about that and protect their personal information and make sure you have tokens versus, you know, encrypted credit card numbers and things like that. Because you can, I think one of the things you let that you didn't say, but I heard you say is you're forced to, if you have a problem, you're forced to operationally fix it, which means your own internal manpower. So if these two pieces of the solution don't, don't work together, there's a gap and that gap is usually filled with manpower. Yep. It's reentry, it's checking, it's balancing, it's these sort of things. So yes, um, describing all that and having an architecture for that with ancillary products is just very, very important because you will plug those holes. And unfortunately it's with manpower. Yeah. And the last thing you want to do is add staff when you go to a CRM system. So in terms of, the types of information that you want to be tracking in your CRM and things that you want to be consider uh, be considering as you're setting this up. Certain things obviously lend themselves more easily to integrating with the CRM, like digital acquisition uh, versus uh, other uh, what I call legacy media, but they're still very effective, certainly for nonprofits. Can you talk to me a little bit about uh, donor acquisition models and which ones are going to work easiest and what you have to look for depending on in a CRM, depending on what you're currently doing? Uh, yeah. So, so I think when, when people, you know, mention, you know, what's our donor acquisition strategies or, or, you know, how are we going to, you know, what's our plan, if you will. Um, and, you know, usually led by, you know, a, a chief marketing officer or chief development officer in the nonprofit world. Um, it's really donor acquisition and then retention. So I think you have to, you know, the word to the wise is, you know, we sometimes we focus more on the acquisition strategies, if that makes sense, than we do on the kind of the retention um, of who we already have. So I think that's that's kind of the first thing is create a donor acquisition strategy that includes not only the acquisition, but the strategy, the um you know, engagement, the nurturing. Yeah. To get them to, to keep being a donor and hopefully leading them up the, the chain to become greater and greater supporters. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, sometimes we say supporters, right, of the organization or things like that. Um, but, it, you know, I think that's just an important thing to look at. Now, each nonprofit, you know, um, has different strategies for, for donor acquisition, right? Um, and it depends on who you're serving and then what your, you know, uh, what's your donor, what, what do you need donations for? Is it cash? Is it gifting kind? Um, uh, things like that. So, you know, it, to me, it's, it's kind of a, um, I, I live in Oklahoma and in Oklahoma, although I've never worked for an oil and gas company, you know, the, the talk here is when you're when you're talking to oil and gas professionals, you know, you hear this word upstream and downstream. Right. <laughs> and, you know, the movement of oil and all this was well, very similar in, in the nonprofit world, I think. And we refer to upstream uh, individual donors, uh, upstream uh, corporate cash donors, uh, uh, individual support and then also corporate GIK. Right. Gift in kind. Um, in our world, we receive a, a large volume of food from our upstream uh, gift and kind partners, 
-hmm. So, and, but those are all, you know, those are donors. I mean, those are people we have relationships with. So I think if, if an organization from a, from a donor acquisition model can, the important thing is to look at your entire process, if you will, your upstream, your downstream, who you're serving. We actually have zero people in our database who are in need of food, children who are needing food from a domestic perspective. We have that internationally because we have program, we, we execute programs internationally for children across 10 countries. But domestically, our database has zero information about that because we have downstream partners who execute that. Um, so what's important is understanding from a donor acquisition perspective is understanding what you're doing, who you're serving, and then turn that into strategies to allow you to acquire relationships with donors out there, supporters out there and grow that from a communication. So sometimes it's information that comes back to up your pipeline, if you will. And that has to be part of your, of your, of your strategy for acquiring donors and retention of those donors. And if you don't, if you don't, and then that's one of our ancillary packages, by the way, where we have corporate part, I mean, sorry, we have, we have partners, um, sometimes they're corporations, but we have partners downstream, regional food banks, pantries, churches, <clears throat> excuse me, Meals on Wheels programs, and those sorts of things where we provide donations to them um, and they execute on that. Well, that collaboration communication for us is a strategic initiative to, to increase our capabilities in that area, which we've elected to have that as an ancillary solution um, to our CRMs, our CRM package. So donor acquisition looks has, needs to look at your entire pipeline, if you will, using the oil and gas term of how you do business as well. So depending on your donor acquisition and, and constituent acquisition strategies, I guess, you're going to need to consider different elements of what a CRM can and cannot do for you. And sometimes I'm, I'm thinking on a smaller nonprofit scale, it might be some data entry. Right, some some manual labor to get people who are, for example, donating still by mail by check. That's not right. instantly automatically going to go into a digital digital platform. Although, if you start out with the digital platform for the mailings in the first place, then you, they already have account records. But you got to go back in and you got to you know add in some data in order to keep that relationship going and and tracking the performance o over time. Exactly, and and we we have a large you know, direct mail um, effort in our in our company. And we had a um, and of course, that's a that's a donor acquisition model we have that and we're 41 years old. So you can imagine that's where it started, along with, you know, television and that sort of thing. But yeah, we had a very long uh, conversation about the analytics and the data flow between our new CRM system and providing those analytics to to do the best job we can of not only donor retention, but new donor acquisition and lapsed donors, of course. Um, those people who haven't heard from us, we lost contact with them. And like you mentioned earlier, sometimes your CRM solution provider can also provide other analytic tools, but they also have access to other data analytic tools. I should say data analytic tools where they, they mine and gather and provide you with data about your donors that you don't know about. Um, because 
that's that's a value add right from them and then that goes downstream into our our mailing and our donor acquisition and then the success or maybe not success of a particular mailing comes back upstream and then so that's that's a critical component of your of your crm integration yeah uh, as long as those uh those ancillary sources of information about your donors is uh, still up to code because those codes are changing very quickly too. And a lot of organizations are scrambling. Yeah. A lot of information providers are scrambling to, to figure out, oh, all of a sudden we can't work in California anymore. Sorry, we can't get you that information. Or in Europe, certain uh, aspects can no longer be gathered and collected without explicit permission and um, management of privacy rights management, all of those uh, different layers of personal protection that's not put in, which is another reason why it's great to have some, uh, that SaaS product outsourced versus building something yourself and tracking it all yourself. Yeah, well, I think you bring up a good point. Um, you know, not knowing where all this is going to go. Um, you know, we typically in the nonprofit world, we, we, we work and assist and share information with organizations of like mind with us. Um, at no cost to them, you know, we're not trying, we don't sell a data list. We don't market something, you know, we don't do what Amazon does necessarily. We don't, you know, uh, we, we don't work like that. And typically in the nonprofit world, that's what you see, hopefully knock on wood, that's what you see all the time. Um, but having said that, it doesn't matter if the California, California laws say this, just because you're doing good, it doesn't mean, you know, you're not burdened with the same thing. So, yes, we typically um, work together with other nonprofit organizations to share um, how we can do good better, if you will. But that doesn't matter to, to uh, you know, to, inter to the European laws and regulations. And, it, you know, we, we still have to manage the data. So which all boils down to, you know, what are your ancillary packages doing and what's your relationship? What's your agreement? Who has the risk? Of if we're giving our data to a third party to help us do something with their systems and we get data back, you know, if you take California, for example, we, we have to know what you've been doing with that data. We have to know where you're storing it. Now, right now, nonprofits are, are excluded from some of those things from the California laws. And we're, you know, we're trying to keep it that way, but it's going to happen. I think the, the moral of the story and what you bring up, which I think is a great point, is that we need to be managing that now and having uh, a good understanding of if you have an outsourced or a SaaS product or even if it's in-house, but it's a software vendor, um, you need to be in tune with what they're doing um, and where your data is stored. And, you know, is it on a boat in the sea somewhere in a data center or is it in, you know, uh, Sweden somewhere or, or whatever, because um, even where the data is located now is something we have to know. Yeah. And um, it's just, it's a burden that, you know, nonprofits like most people have to deal, are going to have to deal with. Like uh, this is all really important stuff to know and to discuss. Uh, we are <laughs> past our half hour that, that I asked you oh, to yeah that I asked you to promise me today. So I really appreciate all your time. Um, you, uh, I asked you for a couple of resources to spotlight and you'd suggested people check out N10 and uh, Nonprofit Quarterly. Mm -hmm. Why are those organizations? Well, I, I like their approach to communications. I mean, it's very um, NPR-like, if you will, I think. 
um, which is great. Um, the other thing is, you know, ask vendors. I mean, vendors are a free resource, whether it's, you know, pick any CRM system or whatever. And uh, they like to talk about what they do. They like to talk about their solutions, their product, their approach, and they can help educate, especially a new organization looking for a CRM system. Invite those vendors, you know, uh, now it's it's all going to be over Zoom or whatever. Uh, so it's easy to have those meetings. It's cost effective for them. It's cost effective for you. And and just hear what they have to say. Let them present their solution and how it can value your company. And they're they're an endless resource um, for you. Yeah, I'm sure they'll talk to you as long as you want. Yeah. Um, it's fantastic. We'll put that in the show notes today, uh, along with those uh, N10 nonprofit quarterly as uh, an action step that nonprofits can take is reach out to two vendors of CRMs to see what they what they offer. Um, I actually realized earlier today that uh, there's an article I have from a couple of years ago on the site about how to pick a CRM, what things to be looking for and, and looking out for. So we'll link to that as well. Um, before we wrap up, Mike, what should nonprofits do if someone listening to this uh, show wants to follow up with you or um, keep up with the work that you're doing? What do you, sure. what do you advise? Them yeah, um, you connect me on LinkedIn is probably the easiest way. If not, search for, you know, feedthechildren.org. It's easy, Mike.Panas, P-A-N-A-S, but I'm on the leadership team on the website, but just, you know, find our number. You can call our 800 number. They'll connect you to me. But LinkedIn is always a good connection point. Um, just search for me. Mike. I think I'm under Michael on that. Uh, I know I am. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think I'm just Michael Panis on LinkedIn. So, yeah, I'm happy to talk. I've talked with a lot of nonprofits who've been looking at CRMs. And, you know, we want to help people um, out there that are in the nonprofit world doing good. I mean, you know. Yeah. And if I can help them save money or reduce risk or whatever, it just helps them do what they do better and, and use those monies for what they do downstream to their the people they serve. So just give me a ring. Connect on LinkedIn. I appreciate it. We'll have we'll have your uh, LinkedIn profile already linked on the episode show notes as well. Uh, okay. if you guys are, uh, listening to the show, um, it is nphero slash EP as an episode 12. We'll redirect you to the show notes for this entire episode, everything that Mike had to say with the transcript, with the audio, the video, we package it all to make it as easy as possible. Mike, thank you again so much for your time and all the valuable information and for offering to talk to more people out there that are, that are facing these types of questions and challenges. Well, glad to help and I appreciate the time. Thanks, Boris. Thank you. Bye-bye, everybody. Take care. Thank you all for watching and listening to the Nonprofit Hero Factory. We hope this episode has given you some ideas and strategies for creating more heroes for your cause and a better world for all of us. Please be sure to subscribe to this show on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And let us know what you think by leaving a review.